hunting and business is an offensive tool, subtitled The Time I Changed Everything. This is episode 16 on John Sanders' Parables for Entrepreneurs podcast. All right, John, you just said you got into the CIA what? When was that? I I interviewed with him in November of 63. I was finishing up my PhD at Carnegie Mellon. Uh-huh. <clears throat> oh, and I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. So I interviewed with him, and I said, God, this job is exactly what I want because it was to go into industry. It's a small group, one-third old agency guys, one-third old industry guys that knew the new industry, and one-third of us young pups that didn't know things couldn't be done. So uh, that's what they really wanted. They wanted to get us into industry to find the new technologies, adapt them to the agency so that they could use them. So transistors were brand new. Computers were still in the other building. So that was November. Mm. So uh, was the interview, and then I took all the, the basic tests and everything, the psycho test and a few things like that. I didn't get to take the uh, uh, the uh, 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 lie detector test until February because that's the last thing they do. And that's just a cross-check on everything they found to see if there's something under the covers they didn't find that bothers <laughs> you. Because it was, uh, it was uh, primarily at that point looking for stuff they could blackmail you on, okay? So there's yeah. something hidden in your past. So uh, uh, my uh, salary, they brought me in as a GS-14, which is very, very good. That's so what's a, a GS-14? Educate Government us service. That's the levels as you go in. You got these levels going up of... Uh, and it basically so is that equivalent salary. to like a is that equivalent to like an orange or a brown or a black belt or what? <laughs> it's a, it was equivalent to a lieutenant colonel in the military. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, good for you. For uh, so as a GS fourteen, you went to a military base. You got the equivalent of a lieutenant colonel. They wow. took care of you. I, I never did a military base, but that's the way it goes. So anyway, uh, so I had I was loaded with money. I was hot stuff. So the first thing I did was I went into to, uh, Arlington, Virginia, where, where the, of course, the CA headquarters in McLean, which is fit 12 miles outside of D.C. And uh, so I said, I'll be at McLean in the daytime, and I'll be in Georgetown at night. So like a good engineer, <laughs> I drew a line and bisected the line, and that's where I got a got a uh, apartment. So nice. I was just a few minutes outside of D.C., and it was good. It was early balconies, swimming pool, the whole nine yards. That kind of set the tone for the rest of your life now, didn't it? You got it. A view, a view and, a, and a great place to live. I, I'm looking at your glasses right now. Am I, do I have this wrong, but are you looking outside right now? Every once in a while, I peek outside. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gorgeous. No, but I'm looking, in the, in, I'm looking at you. I know you are. Now look at me. Look yeah. at you. So should I look at me or look at you? Oh, look wherever you want. I'm not going to tell you where to look. Oh, you're not you're not recording this video, are you? No, the video doesn't get. This is on Squadcast, and I, I thought they were going to release the video recording version in December, but they didn't, and I haven't heard a word. So I don't know what's going on. Now I have to look outside because there's two girls in their bikinis jogging by. Uh huh. <laughs> Helps to keep you young, doesn't it? It's a rough place to live. Let me tell you. Yeah. So you were going to say how much you were making as a GS four twelve hundred, twelve hundred wow. a month. Wow. And that went up from one forty seven a month. <laughs> one forty seven to twelve hundred. So what did you do with the extra cash? I saved it. Yes. I started investing in the stock market. You start. At, how old were you? Twenty five and a half. Wow. And well, I, I tell you how I did it. 
So I had this 500 bucks. I actually did this in Pittsburgh at 500 bucks before I moved down to DC. I had mm-hmm. five, 500 bucks saved up. So I went into the stock pro. It turned out Basin Company. They're long gone. They've been absorbed twice over. <clears throat> and I said, I got 500 bucks. I want to buy ET&T. He says, you don't want to buy ET&T. He says, that's for little old ladies. He says, if you really want to buy a telecom stop, you should buy General Tell, which is the predecessor of GTE. And uh, he said, uh, that's a much more aggressive company. You got a better chance for upside and so forth. So we put 150 bucks in GTE. Then he said, what kind of car do you drive? I said, a Plymouth. He said, uh, let's buy some Chrysler. So we bought $150 worth of Chrysler. He said, what bothers you the most? I said, what I hate the most is losing money in the damn vending machines because they were all over the place. Mm. He said, I got the solution for you. Let's buy some Automatic Canteen Corporation, which is the largest supplier of vending machines in the country. So we put 150 bucks in that. And I held those stocks for years. So that was... That's still what I used to, when I was in the in business, I used to tell young people when they came in that I want to put money in the stock market. I used the same thing. What, buy stocks that you use, that you believe in, because mm-hmm. they're most, you're now making a value judgment on the companies. And over the long run, your value judgment will probably be right. And you become a product of the product. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I don't know, wound up, I remember... Oh, I remember one of my early contracts at the agency was with uh, Applied Research Lab of GTE in Waltham, Massachusetts. $25,000 or some number like that. So my boss calls me in one day and he says, uh, or the executive director or whatever our group was, he says, we got a problem. He says, um, you have uh, stock in General Telephone and you have a contract with General Telephone. And that is a conflict of interest that we've been say. notified by the, uh, by the, uh, whatever the chief lawyer of the agency was. He says, if you don't mind, I'd like to use you as a test case because this is ridiculous. He says, we want people that have been in industry. They're going to own stocks. The, the, if you own an inconsequential amount of the company and your contract is an inconsequential part of their business, there's no reason that's a conflict of interest. Mm. So we got a ruling from the CIA, I don't know, within a couple of months, within the, the legal department, that if your contract was less than, I don't know, one-fourth of a percent of the company's business, and your ownership was less than one percent, it was not by definition a conflict of interest. That still might be, but it was not automatically a conflict of interest. So <clears throat> I changed the rules of the agency. Yeah. The other, t- <laughs> the other time I changed everything was when I walked through a plate glass window going out to the parking lot at night and I got uh, got my uh, carotid artery uh, slit coming pulling my head back out and the glass slit my artery and so <laughs> there were three of us coming out late we all engineers always work late so we're heading out to the west parking lot and so Bernie went through one door Art went through the other door and I went through the glass in the middle <laughs> <laughs> I just tapped it and it just blew apart and so they decided it was under tremendous pressure. So they had to check that because more of them would do it. And that's when they started putting uh, decals on the on the doors, too, the glass. So the, the immediately I came back in and blood was all over my coat. And uh, the guard 
black black guy. Guard says, let me get the first aid kit. And he goes over, grabs this great big first aid kit, grabs the handle, empty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All right. This isn't good. Get call the medics. There are 10,000 people work there. Medics go home at 4.30. There were no medics in the place. Then they said, okay, call the motor pool. Let's get this guy to the hospital. Motor pool will be 45 minutes before they get a car around. So Bernie drove me over to the hospital. Guy sewed me up. He says, I'm going to make you so no one will ever notice this. It's right there on this sideburn. Hmm. So um, so then I was late for my date with my wife and her sister. First, our first official date. And I get up there. Of course, there are no cell phones in those days. This is 1965, actually, because uh, mm-hmm. my wife was moved a year or so later after I did. And uh, so I get to her door, and I said, I apologize for being late, but I started telling her that was blood on my coat. She says, I, I believe your story. <laughs> <laughs> I see the evidence. So anyway, we had a good time. So That's that what, changed some things. So we were going to talk about punt something, but I think we're going to name this podcast "The Time I Changed Everything." <laughs> well, you could throw you, that in the pot if you want. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But originally, so, you were going to talk about punting. Yeah. So I've used this example many times in football. Mm-hmm. Of course, <clears throat> you punt when your offense stalls; you don't get the mm-hmm. first down. And so uh, you're far enough back that you gotta you got to trust your defense. And let's let the other guys have some offense. We're going to regroup, and then we're going to come back better than ever. So that's what a punt is. It's a great offensive weapon if you have a good punter. If you have a lousy punter, it's not so good. But you drive the guys back 40, 50 yards and put them in a deep – let them start from scratch in there. And see how well they do. In the meantime, your offensive coordinator and all your offensive guys are getting together and deciding how they're going to change stuff so they can be no more punting. It's our last punt, right? Well, I say in business, the same thing happens. If you're going on your business and things aren't working out so well, regroup, punt, Mm. back off, let your defense take over, regroup your offense, and come back stronger than ever. It's exactly it. the same analogy. There's no difference whatsoever in the analogies. So the punt is a great offensive weapon in business. You don't like it. No one wants to punt. We want to just drive down for the TD. But at times, it's just the way to, it's the it's the best thing to do to get your offense rolling again. So well, it seems that yeah. See, I was going to say it seems a little bit like maybe Microsoft has taken this approach. Because, you know, they've dominated for such a long time. And then several years ago with Steve Ballmer and everything, things started sliding. Oh, yeah. Well, it happens in business all the time. You yeah. can't you, you can't be leading the pack all the time. Life isn't that kind. Now, Tesla will have to punt at some point also. Hmm. All right? Because they, they just doesn't, life doesn't go that way. There are ebbs and flows in business. But uh, you, you can carry this example on to your life to any organization, but even in your life, you hit a point where you say, God, that's, this life is tough. Well, back off. Just back off, take a vacation, uh, sleep in two days, whatever. Get sick. <laughs> that's the best one. Get sick yeah. for four days. <laughs> you have no choice then. And um, uh, so they got all kinds of words for it. I mean, mm-hmm. the psychos use uh, – uh, uh, intervention. If somebody's uh, really 
into drugs and all that stuff. So an intervention is a big ass punt. So the everybody comes in and they set the guy down and say, "All right, this is the way it's going to go. You're going to change, or we're gone." And and uh, so it's, it's all come because of the ebb and the flow of life, ebb and flow of a business, ebb and flow of everything. The stock market, mm-hmm. okay? When the stock market's going down, what do you do? You punt. You get defensive, and then you get aggressive for new stuff. And that turns the turns the tide. Can you think of some recent examples or not so recent examples of that in business? Of, like a, a, business? of a business, of a company? Yeah, that you observed punting? Yeah. I got my uh my one one of my companies is uh the Swan School of Protocol. It's got a different Yay. corporate name. But Elaine is a dynamo. She is fantastic. So we start well, part of it was because of this COVID crap where you had to back off on everything. Yeah. You know how a lot of companies have thrived because they had to back off on stuff they were doing and they and they re engineered their business. Right? Yep. And you turn your re your business and you come out stronger than ever because you're now you're fighting against the tide. And so when the tide backs off, you become ever stronger. Hmm. And uh, uh, if you don't use that, then you've wasted the opportunity to do that. And uh, uh, the uh, but Elaine, we've now gone mostly digital. All of her courses, she used to do them in the in the place. Now they're all done online, and we're selling $49 courses. And you can buy the package for so many dollars and everything. And it's working out pretty well. She's doing very well. And, Who's handling uh, Is Alex doing that for her? Alex is doing that. She's doing the, uh, the course mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And Alex did a great job. She oh, brought yeah. in somebody to do the, to do the uh, video mm-hmm. who was really good. Okay? We had talked about, well, I don't want to mention his name on this, but one of the people from the Carlsbad Chamber. And uh, the worst thing he did, I had to get him. He came in with a contract. There was like seven or eight pages, all full of legalese. Hmm. And Elaine looked at it and says, I'm not going to sign this. This bottles me up for everything. And I went back to him and I said, hey, you're probably using a standard contract from your from your uh, uh, legal zoo association. Or like- yeah, oh, yeah. And they're covering everybody's ass. You can't do that when you go to small companies. I said, if it's more than three pages, they're not going to sign it. I wouldn't sign it. I don't so sign there's a lesson contract. right there, folks, right? Huh? There's a lesson right there. Yeah. You know, because it's written by lawyers who are anticipating every possible thing that can go wrong. They want to make sure that the person who's providing the services is covered on everything that goes wrong. It's the same way with most contracts. I reject them. These I was in the merger and acquisition business for a number of years. And um, I've been in a lot of businesses. But a merger and acquisition. And I had my favorite attorney in town. I I just talked to him the other day. And uh, he was a transaction attorney. Now, the job of a transaction attorney is to make sure the transaction gets done. It isn't to protect everybody. It's to get the legal things covered and to get the transaction done so everybody can get accomplish what they want to accomplish. So you want an attorney that will accomplish what you want to accomplish. They can't, you, you can't cover everything. You can't cover all the bases. Cover all the bases. Your contract will be 20 pages because you're anticipating things that can happen three years from now. You can't do that. So you get, so what's needed in a contract? Write the check. I'll give you the stock. 
anything else necessary. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. You're there, right? You own the stock. You own the company. Just give me my money. And, you know, we just did, my wife's uh, family was from North Carolina, the boonies of North Carolina, the Sand Hills. And uh, when her her parents, her dad, her dad's, her grandfather, or maybe great-grandfather, moved from Mississippi to North Carolina for turpentine. They were turpentine. And so you have to have pine trees. You get the sap, you boil it, or whatever the hell you do, and you create turpentine. And so out of that became, they started growing peaches because of the Sandland was great for many styles of peaches. So he had lots of land. You have to have lots of land to grow lots of peaches. He was a he was a pretty big player. And uh, I remember early up in my I mean my wife and I've been married fifty three years. So this was the, the late sixties. And I remember going with Mr. Ewing and we walked around and looked at some of this uh some of his land and he says, You know, we've been on this land for two generations now. I'm the second third generation. He says, the sand land is not very good for most crops. It's good for these certain types of peaches. But we grow lousy cotton and lousy tobacco. My wife's little farm from her family over in eastern North Carolina produces three and four times per acre what we do here. And he said, so that's not a good long-term use of the land. He said, we, we actually dig sand off of it and sell it to Pennsylvania for golf courses. So we can dig six feet of sand off of this land. And he said, that's a pretty good thing. But after you've done that, there's not much else you can do with it. But he said, now they got a new crop that I really like. Condos. They're, <laughs> they're only 20 miles from Pinehurst. And they're starting to build golf courses there. And, and with uh, lakes, they dam up the water. And he, so he was able to sell one hunk of his land that separated one of these big developments from the main road. And he says, I love those condos. He says, the new crop, condos. <laughs> what a funny guy. I loved him. So anyway, we put we put all of their property, including their house and everything else, into a Ewing family LLC. And we've just gone through selling the last piece of land this month. No, December. We got it done in December. Before the end the of the year. Capital gains of December before the new administration changes the rules. And um, uh, so... We got an, the attorney that, that was used charged us $600 for <laughs> checking everything. Uh, the, the buyer was a big foundation that was running a youth camp on the land. And so we didn't have a broker in between us. And their lawyers prepared the first stuff. And our guy went through and just knocked out some of the irrelevant stuff that was. And the, actually, their attorney was very good because. They were they they'd been leasing the land. Are you ready? Forty three years. <laughs> Forty three years, really. Leased the land. The first twenty or so, Mister Ewing gave him the land. Said, oh, "It's a I like what you're doing. Uh, no no lease. Just just use it." And then the the next generation comes in, which is us, and we we started we put together a lease. It was not a big. It was three or four pages, and. Uh, uh, so they knew the land. There was there was not a lot of stuff to to do in the lawyer because they've been on the land for many years. So it was the transaction went very smoothly. In essence, here's the land. Give us the money. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about as simple as the agreement or contract was, right? That's is, this is that's all you really need. Everything else is to protect everybody's ass against unknown things that can go wrong. 
or to inform them. Like, you know, we don't, you can't call me at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yes. So if or, they want to call you, they will. <laughs> yeah, 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 they will. And unfortunately, they may actually get me because I'm usually up at three. So your business will punt somewhere along the line. Maybe you uh-huh. put, do a little bit of punting every day, maybe. Yeah. How to do this? How to do that? Maybe I don't do this. And that's, you're having second guesses on your offense. Nothing wrong with that. So out of, out of defensive needs comes strong offense. So the question is, does a strong offense beat a strong defense? Mm. That's always the big thing. Would mm. you rather have an ultra strong offense or an ultra strong defense? Well, here's the name of the, here's the solution or the answer. If you want to be a growth company, it's all offense. If you're not growing revenues, you ain't growing. Period. Doesn't matter what else you're doing in your business. Now, internally, you can feel you're growing because you're changing this, you're doing that, you're making adjustments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from the outside, there's only one number that reflects growth, and that's revenues. So yep. I always used to say, there's times you buy a grocery store. That's what Amazon did. Yeah. Because you have a big foods. jump in revenues to help with the profits. They're already big profits. And uh, But if you want to build your revenues, that's how you do it. So they bought a grocery store. They're, they're building on it. They're doing a good job but because uh, that's Amazon. But uh, so uh, everybody looks at the revenue line. And if the revenue line's not growing up, going up, you're not growing, period. There, there isn't any other answer. No way to get around that, right? There is no way to get around it. You can't prove growth on anything other than the top line. Now, yeah. it helps to have a good, strong bottom line, but there are times when the bottom line is not as important as the top line. Well, I feel like I'm I'm a little bit in a mode of punting. Yeah, actually reducing some expenses and and uh, you There's know. There's only so much of that you can do. Right, right. But sim- but simplifying too, simplifying to move faster. Yeah. So. So anyway, that's my punt story. I think it's pretty good. I think it's great. I think it's great. And it's it's relevant for sure. Yeah. Especially with football, uh, with the Super Bowl coming up. <laughs> yeah. I presume they're still going to do it. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to see on that one. I, I actually, I haven't been paying attention to it, if you want to know the truth. I don't know. Well, what I haven't figured out is that they're going to do March, the uh, the colleges, are going to do the March Madness all in the same facilities, every one of mm. them. They're not going to spread them around the country. I don't know how the hell they're going to do that. Well, so. it kind of makes sense. It sounds like they're pooling resources, like you know, just have it in one place instead of spreading, you know, people traveling and all the rest of it. That makes sense. God, everybody's getting ready for the warm day. I'm looking out. There's another gal coming by with a slinky outfit on. It's supposed to be like what in the 80s? 80 degrees. degrees. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I told Stephanie that, that this morning. She said, Why do you tell me this? And I go, Why do you think? You have a choice. You can live so there. So, Mexico, is that cold, huh? Well, it has been this year. Yeah, it's cold. It's like 18 degrees. But lately, they've been having a chill factor. So, it brings it down to under zero. Wow. Yeah. They've got winds? 30 mile an hour winds, she said this morning, which is unusual. If you got that at 80 degrees, it doesn't matter. You're still not going to go out right. in it. <laughs> right, right, right. So we're supposed oh. to have them here, the Santa Ana, win- Santa Ana wins. Yep. Yep, I'm sure we'll get them. 
So what else, John? Well, what else with you? Give me some hot news. Oh, Have gosh. you started your big contract? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is an amazing – that's just um, – I'm very excited about it because I, I – you know, this woman, Elena, is a, an executive leadership and uh, coach, and she's really well-known. She's really, really wonderful. And, uh, you know, Sam and I are just tickled. We went through a branding session with her, uh, one of two, kind of a branding discovery session. And uh, she's just really great, and uh, it's very exciting. So, where, where is she based? Well, she's originally from New Mexico, which is interesting. But right now, she's back—I uh, want to say—in New Jersey right now. Uh-huh. She's living there, but she's trying to get back to California as well. But she's the she's an executive coach. She's a, a coach and a leadership coach that work with executive women, and she's extremely well known. And uh, I, I just couldn't be more excited about it. It's really good. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the kind of people that we like to be working with. So, um, yeah. So no, let's wrap still- it up and maybe we can talk about other stuff after we get off the horn here. Okay. All right. Unrecord. Unrecord. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media. Visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information. 